Hello and welcome to Anything That Moves, a Maniv Mobility podcast for the mobility curious. I'm your host, Mayor Dardashti. As a mobility-focused VC fund, we get to have all kinds of interesting conversations with founders, industry leaders, and other ecosystem players. The Anything That Moves podcast is our chance to bring more people into these conversations about the future of how people and goods get from here to there and back, faster, cheaper, and safer. Before we get started, the team at Moneyv wants to hear from you. If you have feedback, or if you are the founder of a company in the mobility space, or even if you aspire to be one, please reach out to us directly via the form on our website, www.moneyv.com. That's M-A-N-I-V.com, and click Get in Touch. So I'm here today with Dor Schooler, CEO of Intuition Robotics. Uh, Dor, I'm going to give you a chance to introduce yourself um, and to introduce the company, but before we do that, um, I, I think I should give a little bit of context um, about the broad contours of, of Intuition Robotics and specifically um, to, to your specialty, uh, which is uh, the whole idea, if I'm not wrong, behind Intuition is the idea of developing uh, robotic uh, systems that can intuit kind of social norms and, and, and uh, even etiquette. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think what we're after um, is to change the relationship between humans and machines. That's the robotics part and intuition robotics is, is misleading because we're we, we are not really a robotics company as we are in an AI company. So I'll get into that. Um, so basically, yeah, I had a, a cushy job as a senior VP at Alcatel-Lucent uh, in the global, um, global headquarters and, and then moved to Israel uh, to start a big team here and so on. Um, and very proud of that team. That team is still... Um, active today. That's where I met my two co-founders, Roy and Itai. Um, and it's where we were able to make a big dent in the telecom industry, move it to cloud infrastructure versus dedicated, expensive, clunky machines. But after doing that for quite a while, um, I kind of had the itch again. So that was startup number four. It happened to be an internal startup in a large company. This time um, it's number five. But I guess what was important for me this time on, a, on an emotional level, I guess, is to create a company that has to put the potential to improve the world and to improve uh, or to try to solve some of the biggest problems. And when we started the company and where Michael from Maniv initially kind of put first money into the company had nothing to do with mobility. It was about helping older adults reduce loneliness and social isolation and allow them to stay independent longer in their own home is a huge, huge problem of modern society, one that isn't addressed, costs billions. And if you imagine your mom or your grandma uh, in that situation of talking to only one person or less a week on average in the UK, that's 50% of all older adults. If you look at what that leads to, um, um, it felt like a place that's worth taking the risk of creating a startup around. And as we went on that journey, what we found is in order to solve this problem, we actually need to redefine the way humans and machines interact and create an AI agent, if you will, which is, is different from what we know, which is one which is proactive, which creates a relationship that has a fundamental layer of creating trust and empathy with the human subject in front of it which is motivated by trying to help the human reach very, very specific goals in specific domains around their health, around their safety, around their personal growth, and not 
a passive utilitary speaker or voice assistant where you give a command and it executes that command, but rather a partner on this journey, which will help us, which will rely on, which will push us, which will nudge us, which will delight us, which will humor us um, and help us achieve those goals that we have for ourselves. So that's kind of the long story of what we're trying to do. We're trying to create something new we call digital companions that change people's um, emotions and change and influence people's behaviors towards very specific goals. We're four and a half years old. We're about 85 people based in Israel in Silicon Valley as well. Um, raised $58 million to date and are executing on that vision for the elderly, but also found ourselves doing something similar to make cars into kind of a living entity. So you know that we're going to talk about cars and that's, you know, <laughs> that's going to happen. But first, I, I think that first of all, anyone who's listening and, and, and has a chance to see even YouTube videos of the LEQ in action, it, it's a really amazing application. What, what does a, a proactive uh, companion uh, look like in, in an elderly context? Yeah, so so it's it starts by the motivation of the AI. I mean, what it looks like. Um, do you uh, mean the industrial design aspect, or do you mean? So I, I, that's does? actually a good point. Um, there there is a, a, a physical device involved, and, and I'm sure there's there's quite a bit of design involved in that. I'm, I'm curious more um, on the on the uh, algorithm side, on the on the on the on the software side, um, on the interaction side. Sure. What how how does how does uh, a, a, a on, on a concrete on a, on a very specific level? Um, how does a, a, a companion differ from a Siri or a um, or, or a uh, you know uh, an Alexa? Yeah, sure. So so Siri, Alexa, Google Assistant, amazing products. I have six Alexas at home. <laughs> okay, uh, so don't get me wrong. And what they actually do is they introduced voice as a modality for us to activate things in the world around us, right? So I can say, hey, Alexa, turn on the lights, or hey, Google, what's the weather outside? It will sit idly by waiting for me to invoke a wake word. It will then um, listen to my utterance after that wake word, try to um, take an intent out of it, and then send it to the relevant skill or, or what Google calls action, which is essentially a dialogue tree around that. So if I say, Alexa, turn on the lights, it will recognize the word Alexa, take the phrase, turn on the lights, map that to an intent around smart home lights. And if it has all the information it needs, it will just execute. It will do it the same way every time I do it or, or invoke that command. And uh, if it's missing information, like, did you mean the kitchen or the living room? It will ask me that to fill in the blanks, and that's it. Great. Awesome. That's not a relationship. With LEQ and our auto products, for that sense, we're talking about something else. We're talking about an entity that has an internal motivation to do things. It does not sit idly by and wait for us to give a command. It is motivated by its internal motivation. So in the case of LEQ, we're looking to, as I mentioned, affect people's loneliness and social isolation and their wellness and their well-being in general and so on. So she will want to reduce loneliness. She will want to make you feel acknowledged. She will want to help you stay sharp. She will want to help you stay fit. She will want to help you um, with the right nutrition choices. She will want to make you laugh. She will want uh, to fill the house with music that you're familiar with from your roaring 20s and 30s. And she will calculate in any given time 
based on state, based on it's her understanding of the world around you, if this is a good time or a bad time to interrupt you and suggest something or open in dialogue with you. She will take into account everything she knows about you. She will take into account the status of completion of each of those goals that she has and will eventually make a decision, should I now interrupt Mayor? And if so, out of the different things that are available to me where that I haven't satisfied that goal yet, which has the highest priority and which has the highest probability of success for Mayor specifically, given what I know about him and what I learned about him on a Thursday afternoon at 2.46 p.m., which is when we're recording the session. And that will cause her to make a choice to say hello to you or to suggest for you to eat lunch if you haven't already and to make sure it's a healthy one or what have you. And then she will choose the right way to present that information with you to have the highest probability of success in convincing you, meaning out of the different ways of getting you to eat healthy right now, which words should she use? Which movements should she use as far as the body language capabilities that she has, and she does have movement and body language expressive capabilities. Should she show anything on the screen or not? Should she first tell you a joke in order to get you to be in a better state of mind before she talks to you about nutrition, right? So that's essentially the product. It is fundamentally different. And what users um, tend to feel with this product is that it's kind of like an in-between machine. It's not a device and it's not human. It's this new entity that has a mind of its own that they believe is looking after their best interest or helping them um, achieve goals that are important to them um, and is living with them. They end up using it many times a day. So I, I want to give you a chance to really uh, break big news here on the Anything That Moves podcast. You, you first uh, demoed LEQ in 2017. And, and really, again, anyone who has a chance to look at these demos, it's a really incredible thing to see. Uh, do, do you want to announce here on Anything That Moves, because uh, you're now in a, a sort of public beta, uh, when you're planning on uh, on uh, initiating widespread deployment? Um, no, I'd rather That's fair. not. You know, yeah, we, yeah. we're used to disappointment and rejection here. It's okay. But for people that are interested, I mean, look, I mean, this this is a, this is a big challenge. This is not for the faint of heart. Okay, we're trying to to really change the way people and machines coexist or interact with each other. So we've we've gathered huge amounts of data with LEQ living in people's homes for every, over 17,000 days or 90-day or 100-day stretches. So these are hundreds of people already for long periods of time. Um, we've, we've started making our data public. So if anybody's in, interested, you can go to the LEQ website or the Intuition Robotics um, website under the blogs, and you can see statistics of what people are doing. You can see the different design choices we made. You can see um, what people are doing with LEQ during COVID, which of course is an extreme example of isolation and also um, uh, mental distress. And uh, yeah, and I uh, hope you'll get excited. I can see the headlines now. CEO refuses to divulge strategic secrets during podcast. That's that's also a headline. I'll give you a, be- <laughs> give you a better one. CEO calls people to visit his website. <laughs> so I, I think I'm, I'm pretty far out of my depths when it comes to uh, senior care. Uh, it's not a field I, I, I'm particularly familiar with, but I, I think it's interesting, you know, as we as we move more and more towards AutoCue, your uh, your car offering, um, to understand how how some of those same tools um, are are relevant in a car context. First of all, what what elements of of um, uh, handling or addressing senior loneliness um, are are relevant to cars, and wh- why is it that car makers um, 
want such a thing? What, what, what's, where's the demand coming from? Sure, sure. So it's using the same exact tech, the same exact code, if you want, um, but it's a completely different use case. And it's not for seniors. It's for every owner of every car. And you're right to start with the goal of the OEM, of the car manufacturer, because that's really the important side. What, the reason they approached us initially, and that's kind of how it happened, um, is that things are, there's a discontinuity, obviously, in mobility. And if you look at what happens in the car, for dozens of years, we were driving the same way, right? We had full control of the vehicle. We were driving um, very little changes beyond, you know, gear shift changes. And all of a sudden, there's new technology that's being inserted whereby the car is driving together with us. And I'm not talking about level five autonomy, okay? That will happen whenever it happens but I'm talking about ADAS, I'm talking about level two, I'm talking about level three. And there are more and more features. It takes forever to get the introduction of the new features in a new car and people don't trust them and people don't know how to work with them necessarily, but more importantly, they need to be in sync. If I'm on autopilot, I still have responsibility to take over in certain situations or in all situations. What happens if I don't comply? If I'm driving and all of a sudden the car hits the brakes or corrects the lane, how do I understand what's happening? How do I feel comfortable with that? Um, when there are certain levels of autonomy, how do I express my concern to the car? Why are you going so fast? Why are you on the right lane? Take the highway. Don't take the highway. Slow down. I want to put my makeup on, right? I mean, there, there are things that we want to express to this machine that has control and impact on our safety and lives. So that was one of them. How can we use an agent in order to be the in-between, if you will, between the growing um, autonomous features of the car and smart features of the car and just regular new features that people may maybe haven't discovered yet or don't feel comfortable with and the driver. The second one is around safety, or maybe that's the first one. I'll give you an example. Most cars today uh, can detect drowsiness. And what is the action that they do? They will put on a picture of a coffee cup on the dashboard or turn or on- Or make the a really annoying beeping sound. Maybe, that's also an option. Or a Absolutely. Now, if I was sitting next to you and you'd be falling asleep, I would promise you the one thing I would not do is take out a Sharpie and draw a picture of a coffee cup on the dashboard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I would start talking to you. I would lower the AC. I would open a window. I try to convince you to stop on the side or to stop at the coffee shop. Um, right. I would take action. And essentially what intuition robotics does is it looks at state. It looks at the goal and it transforms that into action. And in the car, we feed off all the different sensors in the car. We get notified that there is this issue of drowsiness. And then depending on what the OEM defined, we can take these multi-model options, um, actions. Instead of LEQ moving around the space for body language or lights, here we manipulate the lights in the cabin, we manipulate the air condition, we manipulate the infotainment, we manipulate um, or ask for your reopening conversation, ask for your permission to change um, destination, et cetera, et cetera. And the third imperative for the car companies is the in-cabin experience. And I think this is an important one that's often um, overlooked by entrepreneurs in the, in the industry. As autonomy will happen more and more, the reason you buy car one or car B is going to change according to the OEMs, not according to door. 
it's going to be less about the powertrain and how it feels to feel the car, you know, in the, in the power of the car around the steering wheel, because I won't be driving as much or at all, eventually, whenever that will happen. Um, but it's about how it feels to be in the car. And that means that there needs to be an experience which is differentiated. Otherwise, the car companies will become commodities. So how do you create the extension between the brand that we see on television, on an ad, and the day-to-day -day experiences I have in the car? Is this car about family special moments? Is it about road trips with me and my friends? Is it about performance? Is it around education? Is it around the workspace? Um, and what experiences can the car do in order to build a stronger connection between the driver, the passengers, and the specific brand. And in that case, if you look at, let's say, VW, for example, there's obviously a huge difference between Seat, Skoda, VW, Audi, and Porsche, um, even though it's the same company, right? So I think the auto industry is, are the masters of creating sub-brands that stand for different things. But the in-cabin experience in all of those cars, if you're on the back seat, is the same, uncurated, not differentiated between them or between their competitors. And I don't mean to, it's just the way it is. Um, so, so yeah, so those are the three drivers. So I, I actually, sorry, that was a long answer to a no, very I think, quick I think it's I a big question. And I, I think that it's, if we're going to talk about simple questions with, with, I think, fairly complex answers, why are car makers seeking out partnerships with, you know, you said you raised 50 something million dollars and that's a significant sum, um, you know, for a startup, but it's still startup territory. Um, and, and, you know, these are car makers that are used to dealing with parts makers and sourcing from supply chains that are a hundred years old. Why is it that we're seeing now uh, and really more and more in the last five years that traditional OEMs are so actively seeking out partnerships with, with what would be to them relatively small startups? I don't know. I guess like the obvious generic answer would be the car is becoming a computer, right? It's not about the mechanics anymore. It's about the software. It's about the decision-making. It's about the sensors. And, you know, if I would start a new company in a new field right now that will need complicated supply chain and immense safety and uh, braking and, um, and complicated mechanics and so on, I would probably go to a, to a tier two. I would probably go to the traditional suppliers or a tier one. I would probably go to the traditional suppliers of the OEMs. But if you're going to essentially try to solve for a complicated software problem that's based on machine learning, that's based on sensory input, that's based on rapid decision-making, that's based on, uh, on data science, um, and that's based on UI, UX, um, that's the, you know, the cutting edge sort, I would probably go to the people that do that. And that happens to be borrowed from other industries. And as entrepreneurs, I guess what we do is we see an opportunity. Um, we come from industry one with a certain skill set, and we, we take that knowledge that we have, we move it just a little bit to the left or to the right, and then present it to the opportunity in front of us in industries that didn't need that until today. So it's foreign to them. You know, I, I'm I'm curious to get your feedback on on. I've heard some people say, uh, which is a classic way of, of of me saying what I want and not and and, and claiming it's someone else's thought, um, that we're seeing that a lot of OEMs are concerned that they're ceding the in-car experience to tech giants. That you know, a lot of the the intimate details of how you interact with your car, the most intimate, you know, the the, the connection between let's say the infotainment system, 
and the user or between other elements of the in-car experience and the user is just being handed over to software giants that, that know how to handle these things better, that can just write software better than VW. Is that a feeling that you have, obviously without naming names, is that a feeling that you get speaking to these OEMs? So these are, these are discussions in the boardroom at many of the OEMs right now. And when, when I'm talking to C-levels at OEMs, and this, this is a C-level decision, okay? It's not a small decision because I think they understand um, what it means to bring in the tech giants and, and let them essentially not just own the experience, but also own the related data that comes out of that experience. Uh, I try to point their attention to the cell phone industry. And let's see what happened there. Um, when the largest brands of the world at the time, right, moved to create, to essentially, same story. Let's give the tech giants the ability, right? Look at the Android OS. They will do Android. It's great. They know what to do. We're not software companies. We're in hardware. What ended up happening is a mass commoditization where users are define themselves as Android users, but they're not loyal to the phone manufacturer by and large. Maybe Samsung is an exception, maybe not, depending on who you ask. If you're an Android user, you're an Android user, and you might buy Xiaomi one day and a different one the other day, and you will look at price, you will look at screen size, you will look at um, camera quality, battery life, right? Commodity. And it's very hard to maintain a successful business or large margin in that sense. And when you look at Apple that were able to, to create this fine integration between experience, the hardware, um, and retain customer um, you know, uh, ownership, it became within that time frame, within the Android, you know, Nokia Symbian to, to Android time frame, became one of the world's largest, most profitable um, companies in the history of you know, commerce. So I think there's a lot to learn from that. Now, does everybody need to be an Apple? Does everybody want to invest to be an Apple? I don't know, probably not. But those that choose not to or don't have the capabilities or don't have the desire to do so should understand that at a certain probability, they're moving towards being a commodity provider of so hardware. I think we've established pretty well why there's a motive or an intent of, of these of these OEMs to look outside their own organizations, but not necessarily to the traditional uh, tech giants to, to meet the challenges of the digital era from the perspective of a car maker. But I, I also want to be sensitive to the fact that there's been a lot of hype um, in the last five years about the, uh, the amazing... Uh, 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 and I want to be sensitive here, um, the, the level of innovation and the degree of will to innovate that these OEMs have. And like every hype cycle, uh, the truth is, is, is somewhere, you know, not at zero, but somewhere in the middle um, that, you know, working with an OEM is not always the easiest thing. Um, first of all, what has your experience been uh, and, and what kind of advice would you give to a startup uh, that is thinking about working with an OEM? Yeah, so, so listen, this is, this is an industry that works at different timetables than we're used to as entrepreneurs. It takes seven years to make it into production of, or, or you know, seri series mass production of a car. That's what it takes. And there are no shortcuts, okay? There'll be wins along the way, there'll be proof of concepts, and there'll be pilots, and we'll get compensated for those, but it won't 
you know, it won't be the type of compensation that make your graph of revenue up and to the right. And that's what this industry is. It will hopefully change over time. But you, we also need to remember, especially as you go, depending on where you try to enter this industry, but they're holding people's lives at stakes. You know, the brake has to work. If the car is accelerating and, and taking autonomous functions, this is, this is no laughing matter. So what, what I really like in, in, in kind of in Toyota, at least Akio Toyota, the CEO, has this sentence I really, really like, and it takes a while to create change in the organization for it to trickle down. But the way I heard him say, he says, that's how I'm paraphrasing here, but something like where lives matter, we need to take it very, very slow. But where there is no safety concern, we should take it very, very fast. And I think most OEMs haven't implemented that yet, haven't made that break between um, the design cycles that are there because of complicated manufacturing process and safety concerns and so on. And rightfully, they should take a long time. And the things that are experience driven, um, which should react at the speed of apps changing and they don't. Um, so I think you're kind of stuck at the seven year cycle by and large today. Um, there are some OEMs that are, are making some changes to that and are working faster or have a desire to work faster. There are a lot of change agents in these companies there are a lot of new blood coming from software world in these companies. Um, and I, I hope that at the end state, this is what we'll see. Take it very slow and safe on safety matters and be work at internet speeds um, or startup speeds on um, experience, services, um, et cetera, matters. And today, it's kind of the same cycle. So I, I definitely want to come back to, to the idea of, um, of the speed to market, um, specifically to, to the in-cabin experience. But, but first, I just want to say, I, I think that we should note that uh, Intuition Robotics is doing something that we really encourage our startups to do. And I don't think you're doing it because we told you to do it. I know you're, doing, you're not doing it because we told you to do it. And even if we told you, you probably wouldn't have to listen. Um, but uh, we love startups that are uh, addressing automotive and, and, and kind of going for that pot of gold at the end of the seven-year rainbow, while at the same time balancing that out with other go-to-markets. Uh, and I, I think uh, I should just note that that's, that's a strategy that you know, works for a lot of startups also, and, and we really encourage. Um, I, I want to come back to, um, you mentioned before that um, there are certain structural reasons why even changes to the in-cabin experience, like you're proposing, um, operate on a seven-year uh, cycle. And, and if I'm not wrong, and tell me if I'm, I'm, I'm barking up the wrong tree here, one of the reasons is that you know the, uh, even the, the um, software platform side of, or the software uh, side of, of in-cabin experience is very fragmented, even within OEMs, that sometimes the, uh, you know, an OEM might be using two or three OSs, operating systems, just for its, uh, in, you know, uh, for its uh, uh, infotainment systems across, across different models. Is, is that a fair characterization? You know, I'll add to that a geographic um, disparity, right? I mean, it's not going to be the same system in, um, in China, in Europe, in the States, um, cross languages. Um, here in Israel, for whatever reasons, it's usually aftermarket changes um, that the dealerships create. So, um, yeah, it's complicated, man, for sure. So I, I, I want to bring this back to the example you gave, which I think is a great example of the mobile phone market. 
and, and where I think the success of, of let's say, a, a, an Android was it took all this fragmented uh, hardware landscape and provided a single platform, um, at least for people to integrate into, or you know, indiv- individual developers or individual entrepreneurs. Um, is there? Do you see any efforts underway in players other than the Teslas and Rivians and arrivals of the world um, to you know centralize their software architecture to make it easier for entrepreneurs uh, to access in, in a more standardized way? Yeah, for sure. Um, so we're we're not really part of the infotainment, so I, I can't really address that. But you do see efforts around, you know, quote unquote, car OS on creating software platforms um, that will less for startups for their own needs, right? To be common platforms they can develop that have software life cycles um, that can do over the air updates of new features and so on. And this this will happen in every OEM. I mean, everyone we talk to has these efforts in different stages of, uh, of preparedness. Some are, have already hit the market, but, um, you know, we, we, they're telling us, we don't need to tell them. And then who are we to tell them anyway? Um, they want to be able to separate these two things. They want to be able to do what Tesla does and release over the air features and updates and capabilities. And by the way, monetization opportunities. Uh, and for that, they need to have more standardization for that. They need to build, um, software expertise themselves. Um, because otherwise they'll rely on, on others and things that they hold for. Excellent. Is there anything else that you'd like to advise a, a company that's thinking about the mobility field? And it's not just automotive. Um, you know, any other advice you might have? I don't know where to start, Mayor. Um, there, there's so much. I mean, at, at the end of the day, take a deep breath and know why you're doing it because it's not easy. This is one of the more complicated difficult industries you will encounter, um, highly regulated, um, many, many different steps, um, corporate decision-making, which is not necessarily fast, et cetera, et cetera. So um, you really need to have a strong conviction that what you're doing is differentiated, is important, and will remain so over time. Um, I've seen lots of startups run out of air on the way because it's hard to bring the data that investors are looking for to create the follow-on rounds and so on. Um, I think the the venture efforts of strategics in this space is helpful because they obviously understand this. This is why they're there to help get companies across this chasm. But um, just don't delude yourself that I, I will bring, you know, a better mousetrap and I will sell it in millions of cars. It will take a lot of work and take a lot of time. And as long as you have the conviction and the wherewithal, you'll make it. And, and the runway. We haven't. I mean, <laughs> look, I mean, you're, you're asking me for advice. We haven't made, I mean, yes, we're, we have, you know, project projects I'm really, really proud of with a few OEMs and it's generating revenue and all of that, but you know, we're, we're not in series production in any vehicle. So don't, don't take my advice. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it advice from door not to listen um I, I i really appreciate your time um and and your input i i understand that like a lot of startups in this field uh your experience at tier ones has been oh sorry with oems has been has been mixed um it's not an easy industry um there there is a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow uh but it's not always 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 easy to see that and and venture investors don't always understand that 
Uh, so I, I definitely appreciate uh, your, your experience and your input. Um, and by the way, I should add that, as you mentioned before, this is, our, this is for a, a system that's not safety critical. Um, so if you're designing a new set of brakes, uh, that, that's a separate challenge. Um, but I, I really appreciate your time. Um, I think that you know, the work you're doing is incredible, especially I feel like in the, in the era of COVID, uh, you know, loneliness has gone from uh, uh, an epidemic to, uh, uh, I don't want to use the, uh, the P word, but uh, it's, um, it's really uh, amazing the work you're doing. It's a really cool product. Again, this is the third time I'm pitching this on, 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 on this podcast, but if you haven't had a chance yet to see um, the LEQ in action, it's really an amazing thing. Um, and uh, hoping to find an occasion uh, to see you in person again uh, somehow soon. Thank you, kind sir. Let's hope everybody stays healthy and we can see each other and all our friends and loved ones again soon as well. Thanks for your time. Thank you to producer Lauren Luz for making this episode happen and to Naomi Lazarov for post-production help. If you like their work and were willing to put up with mine, Please rate and subscribe to Anything That Moves on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whichever platform is winning the podcast for this week. Once again, for feedback or to reach out for investment, please go to Maneve.com and click Get In Touch. You can also find us on Twitter at Maneve Mobility, LinkedIn, and Medium. Thanks for listening.